Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast. I'm your host, Frank Giles, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Michael Rogers, the director of the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alfred. Michael, welcome. Thank you, Frank. Well, we're, you know, into harvest season and growers are out uh, in the groves and are in the process of making their second application of oxytetracycline trunk injection. So that's been, you know, the big buzz this season. Uh, They got the first injection after harvest last season and now are in that process of making the second treatment. So as the label states, the growers will be needing to take a break after this second treatment. So I understand that you guys are doing some research, looking at what to do as that window of no treatment comes forward. Uh, so we want to just jump in and let's start chatting about that. Yeah, thanks, Frank. And and we've gotten those questions about what's important for these trees. You know, a lot of people are hanging those hopes on trunk injections, but we, we can't stress enough the importance of a good nutrition program when we're dealing with HLB. And I know it kind of sounds like a broken record. We we are constantly saying that, but it really is the number one thing you can do to keep trees productive and healthy or reverse the the signs, the symptoms of HLB um, is giving the, the plants the right food and, and water it needs to, to grow and recover. And so um, I think there's probably a lot of, of growers who've heard about and some who've visited some of our research blocks where we've, we've really had excellent results um, with some of our more expensive fertilizer programs that we've been using, where after four or five years, um, these trees have really healthy root systems. The canopies are lush and green, and, and the bricks has been very high in the fruit. And those were all where we're doing these, these expensive control-release fertilizer applications. And the problem with that is the cost to do that, those blends we're using, is very expensive. It's probably pushing $400 an acre per year, which, you know, kind of everybody steps back all of a sudden, okay, I don't know if I can afford to do that or not. So we don't know exactly what components of those expensive fertilizer blends are most responsible for the great results we've had. We know that that there are differences, both the macronutrient and micronutrient uh, amounts and how they're delivered to the tree. And so, but what we want to do in IFAS is that we've actually allocated some funds that we have available to go ahead and do a study to answer that question. How can we provide the right blend of the minor and major nutrients, but using the right blends of certain ones at a a cost that's going to be much lower to growers? And we're doing this because, um, again, it may be that there's certain nutrients that need to, uh, you need more availability, the micros. So perhaps those are going to be controlled release, whereas some of the other nutrients can be cheaper blends of fertilizer. And so we really feel that this is probably the most important short-term project we could do right now to provide growers some direction for the near future to help keep these trees rehabilitated or going in the right direction. And and I know there's a lot of instances out in the industry right now where you look around. Some growers have had really good success with their nutrition programs. I've driven by a lot of groves going down the highway and some of them look fantastic. And I know we've heard from some different growers who feel they've, they've done a good job. They figured out their nutritional programs and are seeing some improvements. But that's not the case for everybody. And really, we think that part of the reason is while some people who are not having success, while they may have increased their fertilization rates, if you don't get the right blend uh, or the ratio of the macro to micros, 
and you know, right now it's a lot of guesswork because we don't have really good guidelines to tell exactly how to do that because we're still trying to figure that out. So there's a lot of guesswork going on in the field. And without the right ratio of those nutrients, you're basically going to limit the availability of micronutrients, both in the soil and also in their movement up through the tree. So that's really a key thing here. And I'm not a horticulturalist or a soil and water scientist. And so when they explain this to me, it's fascinating how, you know, having too much phosphorus or something can actually tie up and limit some of your, your micronutrients, which are critical when you're dealing with HLB. So what we're funding on this program, um, we've got a couple of faculty here at the CREC who are working on this. They've got three sites around the state, one on the East Coast, one in the Southwest, and one on the Ridge. So we're looking at different soil types. And it's basically two different um, versions of control-release fertilizers uh, where they'll vary quite dramatically in price. But the idea, again, is that with these control-release fertilizers, we're able to allow, uh, or it's really kind of they mimic soil types that are more loamy or clay soils. You're retaining this, those micronutrients longer, so they're more available for the tree to take them up. And so you're getting that constant supply of nutrients year-round. And, and hopefully, we'll be able to figure out a cheaper way to do this that growers can afford going forward. And it really, the whole background behind this is really similar to the experience that I think it was one of the most recent podcasts. We talked about our trip to India and what we we're seeing there and that how the growers, you know, again, an area where HLB probably originated, it's been there for more than hundred years, put out micronutrients very frequently uh, to keep them at the right levels in the tree. They can do it through fertigation because they also have uh, much heavier soils than we do. And they made the comment that they try to avoid sandy soils because you can't grow our trees with HLB in sandy soils. Well, here we are in Florida. What are we going to do? We're going to grow them in sandy soils. But um, having something like a controlled release fertilizer that allows the slow, it, it, you're mimicking a heavier soil is what you're doing. So um, we might be able to mimic some of the results they've seen in India. And on that, that podcast where we talked about that trip, we, we mentioned how they were seeing in some of their mandarin varieties this past year had a record crop of some growers were seeing up to 1,300 boxes per acre, not hectare, but acre. And we just heard back from them just recently, and they actually had such a bumper crop this year on some of their mandarins that the prices fell so low that the growers probably aren't making money. And so I wish we had that problem where we, we had too much production. But again, that's an area that, that with endemic HLB, for all their lives, and they're able to make it work. And I think that we just have to think about, we have different growing conditions here in Florida, different soil types, and how do we adjust our programs so we can do have the same kind of results, despite we're going to be living with HLB for a long time. So that's part of what this study is all about, because with the data that we collect on this, um, we should understand what components of these more expensive nutritional programs make the difference. And so we can then fine-tune our guidance for growers on both the rates, uh, formulations, and timing for both macro and micronutrients. And again, the goal is to make this more affordable for the grower. And I think that's important to emphasize, too, what you said about, you know, the trunk injection is the buzz right now, but that in and of itself is not going to carry the day. This nutrition element is going to be a huge part of the uh, program. Yeah. I mean, when you're in the hospital and you're sick, they give you all kinds of medicine, but if they don't feed you, what, what good is it? And it's the same thing here. Absolutely. I'm, and I'm assuming the PGRs, I know there's been a lot of work done with those and growers are already using those in combination with the trunk injection. So I'm I'm assuming the PGRs will play an important role on this year off, so to speak. Yeah. And um, Dr. Vashish, who's been doing a lot of the work on PGR, she's had some really interesting data 
and I think she's going to be presenting it at an OJ break here at the CREC on February 21st. So that's coming up real soon. But she's been looking at different PGR, gibberellic acid, and other products, I think even combined with trunk injections. And it, there may not always be a benefit combining the two, but I'm going to let her speak to that. But definitely it's something that we're seeing some promising results in the field um, with growers here in Florida and even some growers in Brazil we've been talking with have had very good results with the PGRs. And we hope that um, there may be, we've not got this worked out yet, but but we are trying to work on a, a field day event um, where growers can go out and see one of our sites that after a couple of years using the, the gibberellic acid sprays, uh, you're seeing a, a real benefit. You don't need the necessarily data, although we'll have the data, but just looking at the trees, you can tell that difference. And if we didn't have leaf miner, it'd be even better because all those, all the new flushes coming out, we're getting hammered by leaf miner, but it, but it still looks really, really promising. So February 21st, that's that OJ break here with Dr. Vashish talking about PGRs. There's also going to be a presentation that day by uh, one of our emeritus faculty, uh, Dr. Ron Berlansky. He's going to give an update on citrus blight. You know, one of those other diseases we've, well, maybe not totally forgotten about, but it's not getting all the attention. But even in retirement, Dr. Berlansky's continued to do some work. He's got some new information on blight. And that same day, uh, that afternoon, we have a, another, if you're going to be here, uh, I know there's a sponsored lunch after the OJ break. There's also CEUs available. And then that afternoon, I think probably starting at one o'clock, we have a fruit display, another one being put on by our plant improvement team. So you can come out and see some of the later season fruit that's available now. While we're on meetings, a couple other meetings that are coming up that I know about right now, April 3rd, Florida Citrus Show in Fort Pierce. That was great last year, uh, how y'all set that up. So I know you'll be promoting that a lot coming up soon. Then also April 9th is the Florida Citrus Growers Institute in Avon Park. And I don't think the schedule for that one is out just yet, but going, you can go ahead and pencil in April 9th on your calendars uh, to join us in Avon Park. So that's kind of a, wrap, a roundup of what we've got going at least for the next month or so here. And hopefully we'll see everybody really soon down in Fort Pierce. Absolutely. Got a, got some great events coming up and I, I'll be at all of those, I believe. So I look forward to seeing you and other growers at these events. So it should be a good time. We'll learn a lot and enjoy the festivities as well. So Michael, with that, I guess we'll wrap it up until next month and uh, appreciate your time today. All right. Thanks again, Frank. Next up, we have Flavia Zambon. She is based at the Indian River Research and Education Center in Fort Pierce. Flavia, you have been there for a, a bit of time, but are somewhat in a new position. And I just wanted you to maybe start off telling us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do there at the center. Sure, absolutely. I started officially in this position in November of 2023. That's when everything really kicked off for uh, for me to get this um, this role here in Fort Pierce. And to sum up a little bit what we are planning to do here, because it's just still very in the beginning, I'm very new in doing everything. I have the Millennium Block and the MAC trials under my supervision. So I'm still keeping up on those uh, variety trials. They're running and they are they're healthy. <laughs> they're still they're still on track. And also in my position, it is not only citrus, I can do other crops, so I can expand the crops that we can grow here in the in the region. We can diversify and that it's directly to growers that are interested in alternative crops or new growers that want to do something but they don't 
they don't want to stick with citrus. So that is also a part of my position here. So it's assistant professor of horticultural production of citrus and other tree crops. So I can get a little bit more broad spectrum of the growers and perspectives and future uh, research as well. Very good. And I understand that you grew up in Brazil and one of the key citrus growing areas. Have you been around citrus all your life? And not really, no. My hometown surrounded by sugarcane, funny enough. So my dad, he worked in a farm when he was younger. His whole family was in a farm, so he he grew up around sugarcane. But there is a neighborhood town which is called Limeira, and it was where all the citrus research center it is there in Corridorópolis. So it's a neighborhood uh, town. And that one was surrounded by oranges. And I wanted to do something in college regarding transgenics. And that's where everything started. So I worked with citrus my entire life based on this desire of doing something different bio biotechnology. So that's where everything started. Never touch a sugar cane besides breaking up my my knees and, and getting the juice. But other than that, it's everything about citrus. Fantastic. Well, that's a good segue in to talk a little bit about where you studied and some of your uh, educational background. Awesome. So I am, I'm from Brazil, as all most of you know. I have my BS in agriculture engineering, and also I am, I have my bachelor's in teaching. So I have a double major, let's say, the two different um, programs, but they're embedded in one. I have my PhD from University of Florida Horticultural Science Department under Drew Grosser. That one was awarded in May 2020. And I started my postdoc here under Johnny Ferris's uh, supervision in September 2020. And finished that up until December 2023. And then came back as a faculty in November 2023. Oh, sorry. And I, oh, I apologize. I did my postdoc until December 2022. Ah, I got you. Speaking of the speaking of the postdoc, talk a little bit about that. I understand you were working with the the MAC program, multi agency coordination program. Tell us about a little bit of what you did in that in that work. Sure, sure. So the MAC project started actually in 2018 before I even started as a postdoc here. It was an initiative with the growers and the state. They wanted to test some of the new varieties, the new hybrids that were released by USDA and also by UF breeding program. So that talk initiated based on the grower a necessity of looking for new variants and new testing and new uh, variety trials around. So I started with uh, planting, actually. So in 2020 with, oh my God, we started planting. My first planting was December 2020. That was around here. One of the growers growers uh, here in, in Fort Pierce. And we planted until April 2022. So we have a large scope of growers that were participating. We have this large trial, and which involves seven Zions, six rootstocks, 
Some of them are not even released yet for the growers. So we're testing them prior so they don't need to waste their time and money to have those trees and say, oh, they're not looking good. So we are testing that for tolerance. So we're looking more towards tolerance of those trees. We have in total then 42 Zion rootstock combinations. And as for now, we have 40 blocks across the state. Each block consists of 294 trees. And we measured those trees. And this past um, fall was the first harvest for some of those trees. So it's a, it's a circle coming back. I planted those trees. I was in the field. I was making sure that the trees were planted the spot that they needed to be. And I had at the time was under Johnny. We have a huge lab. So we could have people going with the field and measuring those trees because we really measured by foot on the ground close to 8,000 trees on the spring of 2021. So it was very large, very large. And the, the project is now uh, sponsored by CRDF that was uh, awarded last year. So we still have this year. And we have also collaboration with a company that is doing the drone imaging for us because the trees are getting too big and it is easier to have that. It's much, much simpler for us to get those, that data acquired by the drone rather than going to the field and spending six weeks measuring plants. So that's the, that's the main project that I work as a postdoc. Very good. And, and, and in that project, um, you've gotten to work with a lot of growers. Um, how has that experience been, you know, getting to know the growers and, and work with them more directly? It's fantastic. It's fantastic. While I was under uh, Jude Grosser's supervision, I was in the greenhouse. I was doing the lab thing. And then I just I talked to him and say, hey, I, I think I need some of this extension uh, part for my training. And he said, yes, please go ahead. So. I started a little bit under him, just going here and there. I was shadowing him. But in fact, during the postdoc was the full immersion. That's when, okay, lab was not involved and it was all field and it was very rewarding because I was fresh from college, fresh from uh, grad school and never had that big interaction with the growers. So I was feeling kind of intimidated by them because they are oh, they have huge enterprises. They are the one that run the, the business. And I just felt, okay, how am I going to approach them? And it has been amazing. I had great talks with them. We, we discussed some stuff and they come to me with questions and so good to be heard as, um, as a professional, as a woman, I am in the, in the, in the industry that's very different for us. So to have that that recognition from the growers is very, very rewarding. And I never had any problems with that. Always have very good interactions, very good feedbacks, which is great. And I let my door open for them and they can call me. I was in Brazil for, for holidays and they called me. It's like, hey, I need to ask you a thing. It's like, all right, go ahead. So they rely on me for some questions that they don't know answer and I rely on them for the feedback. So this is a very, very intrinsic, but also very rewarding relationship we have. And I adore it. I adore it. I never felt the accomplishment of doing something for somebody. And that was really, really the, 
the main point. I felt, okay, I can help them. So that was very rewarding and it has been growing ever since. So I just see good things coming from the future for that. That's great. Also, you know, part of your responsibilities now is the Millennium Block that's there at the, the center in Fort Pierce. Tell us a little bit about what that block is, what some of the goals are for it. And I believe you were just in there helping to harvest it. So talk a little bit of how the harvest went. I, I know you don't have probably any data yet, but uh, just talk a little bit generally how that all went. Yeah, the Millennium Block was initially a master's student project. It has two main goals. Those two main goals are divided in four different trials. So we have the blocks split it in different uh, tinier blocks, let's say plots. Uh, the main one, it is of objective number one, which we call the trial one. It is a Zion-Root stock combination trial. We have 18 science and three rootstocks. And with that, we have close to a third of the block of the full project. So this is meant to look for um, tolerance and see how the plants are performing. Performing, sorry, they're performing uh, throughout their early ages and now during the harvest. So we can see how fruit setting is doing, how the trees look like mainly for tolerance for graining. So that's the main objective. The second objective, it is a rootstock um, trials that, that comprises trial two, three, and four. And that also looking more towards tolerance, but also other perspective or other, other characteristics of those different rootstocks. Some of them are not still released for the growers uh, like a like the Mac, but we are starting to see differences between those rootstocks and the Zions that we selected. So for that, we have three Zions. It is a Glen Naval, Sweet Orange, um, Red Grape Fruit, um, Ray Ruby, and the UF 950 as the Mandarin. So we have all of them are independent, but under the same umbrella of the objective number two, which look for rootstock selections for those specific uh, Zions. So that is, oh gosh, we have 30 plus uh, rootstocks. So that's the huge scope of the Millennium Block. And the block now has 5,500 trees. And we finished this morning. So it has been, it has been a journey. We started in, God, it was before Thanksgiving, the week before Thanksgiving, and we have a very wet winter season, so that was backing up so get backing up us a little bit for getting in the field and get them harvest. And then we have holidays in the middle, and then we have other we're dragging people, not dragging, we're borrowing people from other projects, from other labs, partner labs. So there's all the schedule and also the picker schedule. So to get everything in place and have time to juice and analyze the juice that took us some time so we finished this morning and regarding data we have some data already but i'm not ready to to say anything because i need to sit down and look with a little more care and how to draw conclusions as for that and that's very important harvest for us because it's the first one that we did not have a hurricane effect 
last year we have Hurricane Ian, I believe so, yes, Yep. coming, and we got hit by as a cat one or a tropical storm, a high tropical storm, so most of the food dropped. It was supposed to be early um, harvest, so now we have a good set, a good base for for the harvest for the following years. The plants also um, got a little bit of cold early last year. So we saw that also in the, in the harvest for fruit setting. And we, we have some splits also, which is, they're great food. They were going to split in the cold. So those are good data as well for us to um, go further for um, decision-making for the best or the pool of the best varieties that we have here. Have any of those trees been treated with uh, trunk injection uh, No, therapy? no, they have Okay. not. And I'm not planning to do that because it would, it would defeat the purpose of the project, I would say. Um, growers in the MAC trial, they're doing that because they're on their own growth. So we don't dictate or we do not suggest which is the best uh, management so they can do as they please. Uh, but for the Millennium Block, I'm not planning to do that because we want to see how they're performing under very, very heavy uh, circumstances and heavy um, endemic HLB situation uh, environment. So I'm not planning to do that. But if we see something's very good and they're, well, they're yielding reasonable, we can put them in the field and we can inject them. So that depends on the grower also. But for the millennial block itself, it will defeat the purpose of the project, oh, I think. That makes sense. That makes sense. You know, w working with the growers out there, uh, you know, you're talking about varieties and rootstocks that are that are available. Are there any any ones in particular that the growers seem seem most keen on uh, more recently? Well, we have a good feedback from them when they we have the millennial blog drive through. So they see what we have around and say, okay, this is the one that I'm looking forward. They were very keen of 914s, UF 914s. Those are the ones that really caught our eyes as well for the past two seasons when we have it. Those are the ones that are Roots are exceptional. They're they're still picking up on the bricks the way that we wanted. I think it's just because we have very early set is those very first years on harvest that we're gonna see it. But they are they're very good. They are they're exceptional. So those are this is the one that we're very looking forward. And some of the hybrids that the grapefruit-like hybrids that UF has been producing for the past uh, for the past years. Those are ones that trees are looking good. They're they're not very tall, so they're easy to manage. They're easy to harvest. They're white, so they the branches go very very large, but they're not tall, so that manage that you know helps in the management. Uh, like I said, it's still in the beginning to really draw any conclusions, and but people are very 
keen on looking and tasting the night proteins. So I cannot say that it's the one that we're going to be planting for the next years, but it's a contender. That's for sure. We're also looking for other um, combinations here at the Millennium Block. That they are looking exceptional, but they are failing on setting fruit and holding the fruit. So that's something that we can look further for the breeding program or how to do management to ensure that we have a good fruit set and keeping the fruit in the tree while maturing for harvest. Great. And finally, just to wrap up, we've got an exciting event coming here to the center uh, soon, the Florida Citrus Show, which is scheduled for April 3rd. And it's there between the uh, the Indian River Center and the USDA lab. Uh, you guys are neighbors. And so we're excited about that. We, we partner with you guys to help host that event. And so we'll be covering a lot of what we talked about here today, I'm sure, and then and, and more topics that are interesting to citrus growers. And there also will be programming for vegetable growers. So it's going to be a fun event, uh, educational event. We we did the tailgate style uh, presentation of the lunch last year. So the exhibitors, vendors got in and they were serving food. And that really kind of was neat and helped the engagement. Yeah. Uh, of the the growers and the vendors and everybody involved. It just made it a real, real fun environment. Are you looking forward to the show? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, pres I presented for like two years or something. And it is so, it's fun. And it's very good to have that connection, that very in-person connection. We didn't have that for a couple of years during the pandemic, which was like the downside of it. But the tailgate was a success, and I'm very looking forward to present the data that we have, present a little bit of what we're doing. If growers are interested on also looking for the trees in the Millennium Block, we can arrange some of the some of visits. So I'm very excited, and I'm so looking forward to look other people's research and talk with the growers and present what we want to do, have their feedback, and talk and just say hey we're here for you that's what we're here for and i'm so very looking forward for this i'm very excited yep and i look forward to seeing you as well and the other growers and everyone else who comes to the show on april 3rd uh with that we'll wrap it up flavia thanks for joining us today thank you for having me it was a pleasure Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.